Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. We appreciate you joining us this morning. You have Brian and Jeff along. And Jeff, you know, we just wrapped up a two-part series with Alan Hitchin, our evangelist, where we were talking about the pride of life. And so we thought, hey, you know, why not talk about the opposite of that, humility, right? So we're going to talk about that today. Yes, and certainly will be a good contrast, if you will, you know, pride of life and humility, you know, opposites, if you will, that hopefully our listeners will appreciate the, uh, the difference, you know, and the importance, at least from God's perspective, of emphasizing the aspect of humility. So if our, if our listeners have not listened to the previous two podcasts, we would definitely encourage them to do that first before starting on this one. Yeah, agreed. And thanks for bringing that up because you're right. I mean, this is a subject where the Bible spends a lot of time talking about, and, and really we finished our last podcast with Alan talking about, you know, the remedy for the pride of life is humility. And so when we had that two-part series with Alan talking about pride, we were looking at some of those characteristics that are common with pride, such as, you know, just arrogance is, is kind of another word that can be used for that, or somebody who brags and talks about how great they are. The term puffed up is used in 1 Corinthians, for instance, and putting ourselves over the needs of others is another way you could look at it. Or in, in our culture today, we have people that have, we might say, a quote-unquote, I must win mentality. You know, in other words, it's all about me. I'm not going to give an inch to anybody else. I won't yield to them. Everything should center around me. Or it could even, you know, kind of have a wider range where you know, we become angry when somebody points out a fault or sin in our life. We don't like to be told we're wrong. Sometimes we look at possessions or just anything in life is mine. So it could be, you know, time, my time, my abilities, my money. Hey, I'm successful because of me. And we looked at some examples with Alan about that when it came to Nebuchadnezzar. And then, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, just a strong desire to be popular, to be desired or to be followed by others. So it's interesting, Jeff, how when we talked about pride, it can manifest itself in many different ways, can it? Certainly, and in you know many different settings, uh, in terms of this exaggerated sense of, of self worth, you know maybe it's on the job, you know maybe it's with friends in school, etc. And so certainly something we need to be you know on our guard for all the time. Yeah, and as Alan mentioned at the very end of the last podcast, yeah, the antidote to pride is humility, and so that's why you know we thought it would be good today to just kind of look at you know this this godly quality more closely. Uh, it is a multifaceted subject in that the Bible has a lot to say about it in different settings, in different contexts, and so forth. And so we'll just kind of, you know, closely look at its characteristics, of course, seeking to learn why it's important, and more importantly, what does the Bible tell us? How can we apply it to our lives? So I guess to start out, you know, let's just talk about what, what would be a good definition of the word humble or humility. And if you look in the Hebrew, it means gentle, lowly meek, poor. So for instance, Moses was called the meekest man in all the earth. And if you looked at Moses, he was certainly very humble. If you look in the Greek New Testament, you know, the New Testament written in Greek, that word is defined as humiliated in circumstances or disposition, base, cast down, of low degree, lowly. 
And then if you were just to look up a dictionary definition, having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's importance. And Jeff, I like that one because if you think about it, it really starts with not thinking more highly of ourselves, as the scriptures say, right, than we ought to think. And so if you start with that baseline and saying, look, I'm nobody compared to anybody else, you know, I should be submissive to God and so forth. Anyhow, I think it just helps us to understand the word a little bit better. Well, and I like modest because in some ways it's a word that does have some degree of balance, meaning, as you said, you don't want to have an overinflated, puffed up ego. And yet at the same time, you know, you have some degree of, should I say, self-worth that enables you to, you know, go forth and, uh, you know, try to do things because you have some degree of self-confidence you know, strive to do something better. Again, because you have this sense of self that allows you to try something and not just give up because you're, you know, you're, you're worthless, you're valueless, there's nothing you can do, et cetera. So it's, there's a little bit of balance in there. Yeah. And I remember a comment you made in our last podcast with Alan about when you think about the good attributes of pride, we talk to our children about when they do well in school, they should be proud of the fact that they had an A on a test or received an A in a class. And I guess really in many respects, pride in that way is a quality that God wants us to have if it is related to being proud of your accomplishments. But the devil wants us to take that further and say, well, I'm great now because I've learned or because I've accomplished. Exactly. Well, and especially if you you know start to exalt yourself over others, as you said, I'm so wonderful, and and the uh, the converse of that. Well, you know, yo, you're you're nobody. You know, I, I can I can use you, I can abuse you, I can ignore you, I can mistreat you, and you know that's fine because, as you said earlier, it's all about me. Indeed. So, where's a good place for us to start? You think to talk about this? Uh, I tell you what. How about if you read Psalms one thirteen, uh, starting with verse four, and go down to verse nine. Okay, here it says, The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust, He lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that He may seat Him with princes and with the princes of His people. He grants the barren women a home, like a joyful mother of children prays the Lord. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, Jeff, how in verse 6 it talks about the Lord humbles himself. Not something we read a lot about in the scriptures. Right. Well, and especially going back to, you know, verse 4, verse 5, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high? In fact, that same thought is kind of continued over in Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And, and, you know, Brian, I think there's probably a, a good point there because, you know, sometimes we get the feeling we're better than the guy next to us. And... In some ways, at the same time, we start to exalt ourselves and, and can even exalt our thinking of, you know, I've, I'm smart. You know, I've, I've figured all this, uh, you know, creation evolution thing out as an example. 
and yeah, I know this about the creation of the world and evolution is, is true and, you know, I don't need God and I can direct my own steps and, you know, who needs this supreme being, you know, telling me what to do? Like, whoa, hold on a second. We're talking about, as these verses have pointed out, you know, the supreme being creator of the entire universe and you're you're just a mere little, you know, less than a speck of dust, sort of vaunting yourself or lifting yourself or, you know, I'm I'm as good as God. I can direct my own world. It's like, mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> what do you think about that, Brian? Yeah, I agree. In effect, as you were saying that, I was thinking about a passage that we didn't put in here because Alan covered it in his section, his at the end of his um, series on pride. And that was, you know, what do you have that you did not receive? The scriptures tell us God gave us our mental wherewithal to learn and to succeed. So therefore, why would we ever want to attribute it to ourselves? We're simply using being stewards of what God gave us, right? Exactly. Another verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 34. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Now here's another one, uh, Psalms 25, verses 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. So, you know, part of this uh, humility, if you will, is the acknowledgement that you don't know everything, that you haven't figured everything out, and you do need someone else to guide you, teach you, you know, particularly when it comes to certainly spiritual things but also how to live uh, you know, a good, effective, productive life in this world. Brian, what do you think about that? Yeah, I completely agree. In fact, these passages that you're reading really help to define what humility is. And so we appreciate God giving us clear understanding through his word. All right. Now, there was a, a parable that uh, Jesus spoke that probably brings us even more into focus. Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. And for our listeners who might not be familiar with that, let me go ahead and read it quickly. Again, Luke 18, starting with verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or <laughs> even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Similarly, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know, this uh, you know, appropriate sense of self-value, humility, if you will, is also required in order to enter the kingdom. We see the opposite in some ways sort of portrayed by the disciples in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Brian, you want to go ahead and read that for us? Uh, yeah, here in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, 
Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, certainly it's, uh, we, we see that contrast, you know, with uh, the disciples that they were trying to elevate themselves and Jesus sort of uh, corrected them, if you will, you know, by showing them, you know, children and, you know, childlike nature. So that kind of brings uh, this part, if you will, you know, to a close in terms of how important this attitude is to being uh, not only a faithful Christian, but pleasing to God. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, that very first passage that we looked at in Psalm 113, verse 6, where it talks about God humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and on the earth. You know, we don't often think about God being humble, at least I don't. I guess I should speak for everybody. I mean, he's our creator, right? He's the number one, if you will, in the universe. And yet, we do know that we were created in his image and in his likeness, as we're told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So we were created in his image. Part of his image is humility. And so he makes it clear that it should be part of how we live our lives. And so over in Colossians chapter 3, it talks about that when we are baptized, it says in verse 10, we have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So in essence, we restore our image back to the image of God in which he created us. Verse 12 in Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And so that, along with like Galatians chapter 5, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. These are all spiritual qualities that makes up God's nature and that he wants to make up our nature. And so... Paul goes on in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about we need to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And he goes into more detail on this. So, Jeff, could you read that for us? Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Sure. Of course, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians, or to the Christians in Ephesus. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. All lowliness and gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So these spiritual qualities are similar to what we just saw in Colossians chapter 3, and once again are part of the nature of God. So you think about humility, of course, meekness, similar word, long suffering, then lowliness over here in Ephesians chapter 4, gentleness. Those are words we're familiar with. You know, long-suffering, in other words, that you are patient with people, those kinds of things. So anyhow, these are just a kind of a sampling, if you will, as to what it means to have a humble disposition. Now, there's also an admonition to those quote-unquote younger people to be clothed with humility. So we see that in First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. Here Peter says, likewise, you younger people... Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, he says in verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due 
time. And I like Jeff how it uses this word clothed because we can all relate to putting clothes on right around our body. The American Standard Version uses the term gird because like in the new or in the first century, I should say, they would gird up their loins. In other words, they would wear these robes and they would kind of gird them up so they could run those kinds of things. But anyhow, it's interesting how this word clothed is only used once in the New Testament Greek. And the definition means to engirdle oneself figuratively, the apron as being a badge of servitude to wear in token of mutual deference, humble submission and respect. So in other words, much like you would put clothes on your body or a robe on your body, this is what God wants us to do with spiritual quality. So it's kind of interesting imagery, isn't it, Jeff? Uh, it certainly is. And, you know, not something that we easily relate to in our culture. But, you know, you could go back, you know, I don't know, 100, you know, 200 years with, you know, servants in the household, you know, wore certain things that, you know, designated their role, uh, the things they did, and certainly were, you know, somewhat humble, if you will, uh, in, in their service. And, you know, in some ways, that's what humility kind of leads to, if you will, you know, the sense of, you know, putting others above yourself or serving others or looking out for others' interests in, in some ways as, as much or in some cases even more than your own. That is so true. And, you know, this is a quality that we saw in Jesus's life when he was here on this earth. In fact, he said on many occasions that his focus was to do the will of the Father. So, for instance, John chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And he lived his life in that way. He was focused on doing the Father's will. Now, over in John chapter 13, there's a wonderful section of Scripture where Jesus is near the end of his ministry. He's not too far away from being crucified on the cross. And he teaches his disciples one, you might say, final or one of the final lessons, but a very important lessons of lesson of humility and serving one another. And so after they ate, he took a basin of water, he girded his garments, and he went and washed their feet. And you might remember from that section of scripture, Peter's like, Lord, you, you won't wash my feet. He couldn't imagine. Like the Lord's washing my feet? And the Lord said, I will wash your feet or you'll have no part in me, Peter because he wanted to teach them a lesson. So beginning in verse 12 of John 13, so when he had washed their feet, taken garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher having or have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So what a wonderful lesson from Jesus. Here is our Lord and Savior. Yet he was humble enough to wash their feet, to teach them also to serve others. In fact, Jeff, if I could get you to read Philippians chapter 2, it also talks about Jesus was so humble that he was willing to allow himself to be put to death. So Philippians 2, 5 through 11, if you would. Certainly. And, and, you know, consider we're in many ways talking about, you know, with God, the Father, Jesus as the Son, along with the Holy Spirit, you know, creator of everything in this universe. Okay. So with that in mind, let's go to verse five. Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and you know, Brian, just to elaborate on that just slightly, you know, can you imagine... You know, some a being that is outside of space time, right? All eternity has existed, all eternity past will exist, all eternity future has all power, blah, etc. To basically leave all of that and kind of I don't know if this makes sense, you'll get squished into a mere human body, knowing in advance that his fellow humans would pretty much, you know, in many cases ignore him or mistreat, abuse, and ultimately kill him. Now, to, to do that is like extreme humility, I would say. Yeah, I like that point. And, you know, when we think about, when some people would ask, well, why? Why would God crucify his own son? Why would God send him? Well, we're seeing one of the reasons here, so that he could teach us how we should live our lives. And, of course, it was also because of love, and it was also because it was part of God's plan. And so you're right, it's, it's sort of mind-blowing to think, Jesus was willing to do this for us sinners who separate ourselves from God because of our own selfishness and pride, yet he came and said, no, this is how you should act. And so it's just wonderful. And one final thought here, and that is, you know, this is also a quality that the scriptures teach us that we should have when even correcting or restoring others. So think about somebody that's in sin, or maybe somebody that's a, a Christian who's fallen away. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, verse 24 says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And we see a similar thought in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So uh, a principle here as well, Jeff, that really shows that God wants us to be conscientious of the fact that we're sinners. So we have no right to be proud and tell somebody else, you need to repent, you're a sinner. Well, we're sinners. And yes, they need to be restored, but we do so in a spirit of gentleness, once again, considering ourselves that we do the same thing. Yeah, very, very good point. And in fact, one that we can, uh, I, in some ways, slip so easily into, you know, is sometimes we joke about the holier than thou attitude. Yes. You know, it's real easy to see the uh, the errors in others and hard to see the, you know, errors that we, we have ourselves. And so based on that, we may have an exalted sense of, you know, self-value, self-worth or, or pride, if you will. Uh, particularly when put quote unquote putting someone else in their place, so to speak. Yeah, kind of like the example of the Pharisee and publican, right? That you mentioned earlier. Same concept there. Uh, exactly. So now that kind of uh, segues, if you will, in, into our next section, where you know dealing with others. You know, how should this 
attitude of humility, you know, manifest itself in the relationship that we have with others. And, you know, let's sort of start kind of broadly, you know, in terms of, you know, how we deal with, you know, humanity in general. Well, Romans chapter 12, 16 kind of gives some insight into that. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Um, similarly, uh, putting the interests of others before ours. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Uh, Brian, also, we want to do uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 11 and, uh, sorry, Romans 12, verses 10 and 11. Uh, sure. Here it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, we can see this kind of humility needing to be manifested not only in general, but also in a number of specific circumstances. For example, if we go over to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 28 through 30, we see how it shows up in the marriage relationship, uh, beginning with verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nonetheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we see, you know, the going both ways, if you will. You know, wives being submissive to their husbands. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, continuing on, verse or, uh, previous verses, uh, verse 22 through 24, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. But it's not a one-way giving of you know, humility, uh, but two-way. You know, husbands, show honor toward their wives. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, similarly, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. So we see it uh, going in both directions. So in the final section of, as we deal with, um, you know, humility in different relationships, let's talk about those in authority over us. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, for example. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will be bring judgment on themselves. Similarly, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So we see this sense of humility, submission, etc., even in uh, from a civil government uh, perspective, in addition to that within the marriage relationship, as well as mankind in general. So a lot of different relationships that we can show 
are humility, uh, servitude, etc. Right? Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting how there are so many relationships that we have in our lives. So like you had talked about to start with mankind in general, and you know, that could certainly extend to our friends. You know, as we all grow up, we all had friends and even ourselves could be at times proud of how we dominate over them in sports or in some contest at school or whatever it might be. And so you can see where humility is needed there. Or how about, you know, when we work for an employer and maybe we have an overbearing boss, as we might say, you know, we could certainly see how humility is needed because uh, otherwise things can go south quickly, can't they? So, yeah, I li- like how the, the relationships is, is a key element uh, as well in our, our walk when it comes to humility. Well, and certainly one other aspect, which I don't think we mentioned, was, you know, within the church, you know, with fellow Christians, with elders, with preachers, etc. Certainly we can have that overinflated sense of pride or looking down on others because of, you know, how long we've been a Christian or our spiritual accomplishments or, you know, dealing with a relatively new Christian and, you know, putting them down because you know, they don't mu- they don't know much, or they make mistakes, or you know can't quote scripture, whatever the case might be. You know, within the local congregation, so you know there's yet another relationship that this can apply to. Yeah, such a good point. In fact, it's a good segue into the next section where it talks about it. Really requires perspective. So, for all of our relationships, for all of our uh, different aspects of our life. We need to put thought into why is this important. And I guess it's really like any subject, right, Jeff? We have to take what the what God says, what he teaches us. We have to internalize it and reflect on it, understand why it's important, and then how we can apply it to our lives. And so, you know, one of the things that Alan focused on in, in our two-part series on pride was that, you know, God has given us everything. So we need to be careful that we do not attribute our success to simply our own great, you know, minds or whatever it might be, but give God the glory. In fact, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 17, it says, when you say in your heart, now this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel, he says, when you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So well said, because if you think about the fact that God was going to give the Israelites the land of Canaan, and as he says in other passages through Moses, they would be given houses that they did not build, vineyards that they did not plant, and certainly lands that they didn't conquer on their own, and so it would be easy for them to forget, oh, by the way, God's the one who gave me all these things, and it's due to my own might and power. Well, God made it clear. You need to remember it's him that gave you this ability. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light. So another good passage that helps us to maintain the right perspective. And then, you know, when it comes to giving back to the Lord, for instance, or once again, prospering in any way, Jeff, I think David had a really good perspective on this in in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. So could I get you to read verses 10 through 14? Uh, Because he had that perspective. Sure. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. 
For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. So here we have a section of scripture where David had asked the Israelites to bring gifts, if you will, to help build the temple. And the people did very generously donate their medals, all these different things that could be used to help build the temple. Now, David wouldn't build it himself. His son Solomon would. But that's what led to this prayer after they brought so much. David actually had to tell them to stop bringing things. They had enough. But he kind of showed here, you know, that he understood that while they were able to bring these things to build the temple, it wasn't really them. In fact, if you think about us as human beings on earth in general, we're in essence like lessees of the land that God created, this world that God through Jesus created. And so we want to always keep that perspective that, you know what, we only benefit because God blessed us with an earth where we can take raw goods and turn it into products. We can develop our minds and be hired in a particular occupation and earn money because of the minds that God gave us to learn. So anyhow, Jeff, I guess this is kind of a broad subject as well, right, when it comes to perspective. But I just like how these few verses tell us, hey, it's not because of you. (laughs) So be careful not to attribute it to yourself. Well, and you know, you make a good point because sometimes our accomplishments through God-given talents do allow us to have some degree of success, you know, from a career perspective, uh, from a money perspective, from a fame perspective, et cetera. As we say, sometimes that can go to our heads. But if we just, as you said, stopped and realized that success, you know, our ability to think uh, in many ways, a lot of the opportunities that, that come to us really are all gods, you know, as, as the creator. And we're just sort of here, you know, using his gifts, his abilities, uh, et cetera, um, and hopefully to his glory and, and, and not to our own. Yeah, that is so true. You know, as you were talking about Deuteronomy chapter 8, do not say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me wealth. As you were reading that, I was reminded of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, briefly, over in Daniel chapter 4, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, I guess, had a dream. Daniel interpreted the dream about, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, needed some degree of humility. Uh, but it turns out, and of course, Nebuchadnezzar, king over Babylon at that time, you know, super empire, large, etc. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace, uh, verse 29, verse 30. I like it especially. And the king said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? In verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Of course, verse 32 and verse 33 goes on to talk about him being punished for his great swelling pride and lack of humility, even after having been warned about it. So I thought that I thought I'd go ahead and add that to the uh, the mix of having a proper perspective. Yeah, and that certainly wasn't uncommon for leaders, right? And we saw the same thing with Herod in Christ's time, where once again he wanted to attribute all this greatness to himself, and of course he also was punished by the Lord and humiliated, or if you will, humbled, I should say. 
true. And I guess the key point you know, with all these warnings is, you know, we, we need to you know police ourselves so the the Lord doesn't have to humble us or, or punish us or ultimately, you know, send us to uh, hell for eternity. Yeah, one other quick thought, and that is, you know, when you see like a professional athlete or you see a professor in, in a university or something like that, I think where people also can forget is they develop some basic skills that God gave them. So somebody that's more inclined to athletics or somebody that maybe has a high IQ and they will develop it. Maybe they study or in the case of an athlete, they work and they practice and they do all of these things. They put in the right amount of effort. They have the diligence that God teaches us we should have. And therefore, they either refine or expand their skills. And I think it lends itself then at that point to say, well, then look at that. Look at all this work I put in. And it can become easier once again to start attributing it to ourselves. True. Good points. Okay. So one way of expressing humility, if you will, is being able to seek help, seek assistance when needed, as well as being able to accept rebuke and being willing to admit you've done wrong and ask for forgiveness. So, for instance, you know, uh, uh, requesting assistance from others. You know, it can certainly be humbling, if you will, you know, to ask for assistance when you need it. And, you know, assistance could come in any number of different forms. Could be, you know, you need some help with respect to uh, some money, or you need some help with respect to, you know, taking care of some things around the house, food, etc. Uh, and it's certainly important to realize that God expects us not only to help each other, but also be willing to accept that help. First John chapter 3, verse 17, but whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in need, shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? And certainly, if you have a degree of humility, you know, you'll be able to accept that help graciously. <laughs> Luke chapter 3, verse 11. But he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise, etc. So being willing to, you know, humble ourselves and admit we need some help, you know, whether it's, you know, physical assistance or you know, maybe even it's in instructions like, I don't know what this means. You know, can can you potentially show me what this means or teach me, etc. So like accepting assistance. How about being willing to accept rebuke? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. But he who regards a rebuke will be honored. Uh, tell you what, Brian, you going to do Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 33. Yeah, here it says, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Right. And certainly, we would understand that these rebukes are, you know, merited. You know, you did something you shouldn't have, said something you shouldn't have, you know, failed to do something you should have, etc. And someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, this isn't right. You know, you should have, etc. And of course, if we're prideful, we'll go, ha, well, who are you telling me what to do? You know, I know better, you know, etc. Whereas the spirit of humility will go, uh, all right, let me, th let me think about that. You know what? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I should have done things differently. And finally, uh, you kind of as part of that, being willing to ask for forgiveness, be willing to say, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? 
you know, the prideful person, oh man, that's got to be painful. But the humble person go, yeah, you're right. I did wrong. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done that. Can you forgive me? Et cetera. Certainly, uh, like Luke chapter 17, verse 3, as an example, you know, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Uh, similarly, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You know, certainly the humble will understand that it is more important to resolve an issue than to worry about your pride being hurt. And similarly, not only with one another, but also with God. First John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, and that's to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you know, here, here's some other practical ways that you can you know, cultivate an attitude of humility, of being able to ask for help, being able to accept rebuke when it's you know warranted, being able to say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness when you have done wrong. Brian? Yeah, and all of these can involve a level of embarrassment, you know, certainly to the point you made early on about assistance. Sometimes people, I would say, almost overthink it in the sense that, well, if I have to ask for help, they'll think I'm not managing my money well or they're, you know... And we can start literally judging how other people will view us when the point is, do you need the help? Then ask, because the Bible does want us to help each other. Or to your point about how we would respond if we are rebuked or someone points out where we might be in sin. Yeah, it's easy to say, well, you, you are a sinner as well. But the point is, is that if you can just accept it, embarrassing or not, it serves a purpose. And most likely, the person that's pointing it out isn't trying to humiliate you. They're just trying to keep you in a right relationship with God. And so anyhow, uh, we just have to, what do you say, swallow our pride. Exactly. Yes, indeed. And we have those phrases that indicate that kind of the difficulty of you know, when pride gets in the way of us doing what we need to do. One final section here, and then we'll get into the questions that people have submitted on this subject, and that is that, you know, God's made it clear that he will bless the humble and he will punish the proud. It could be in this life or it could be in the judgment, but just a couple of Psalms and Proverbs that really touch on this. Psalm eighteen twenty-seven: for you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. Psalm 147, 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. And then Jeff, how about Proverbs 3, verses 33 and 34? Certainly. Curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Yeah, and one other final contrast as far as the Psalms and Proverbs is in Proverbs chapter 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. So these are just a few examples. There are many Psalms and Proverbs that often draws a contrast within the same verse between the proud and the humble and what God thinks about it and ultimately what he will do to those of those two mindsets. So... The other thing is in the New Testament, Jesus talked about this as well. So for instance, in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So 
Once again, contrast. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then finally, we know and learn that true honor and spiritual life comes through humility. So Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And so all these passages that we looked at made it very clear what God prefers. In fact, Jeff, I'll just go back to one of the very first passages that you talked about, and that is as it relates to you know, the importance of humility to God, where he said in Isaiah 57 that I will dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite one. So God not only prefers that, he requires it, and he will bless us and be there for us when we are of a humble spirit. Brian, you can see that, you know, certainly in a practical sense where, you know, if, if God through, you know, Revelation in the New Testament tells us, you know, these are things you need to do to have a good life. These are things you need to stay away from, you know, to avoid, you know, um, destroying your life. These are the things you need to do to please me, etc. You know, those who are, you know, humble, meek, submissive to God, you know, will, will go ahead and do those things. Uh, and in many ways be blessed by God because of that. Likewise, if fellow Christians come and you know, you know, rebuke them or try to, try to instruct them, try to correct them, try to rebuke them, you know, they'll be willing to listen to that and, and likewise come back into you know, not only a favorable relationship with you know, fellow Christians, but also with God. And likewise, avoid a whole lot of heartache that, you know, people in this world, you know, get themselves into, you know, because they don't want to listen to people. They want to call their own shots. You know, they think they're so, they're so, you know, high and mighty. You know, they don't, they don't need anybody else telling them what to do, et cetera. Now, I think you said we're uh, transitioning over to some questions as we start to wrap stuff up. Yeah, we have a couple questions that have been submitted on this subject. So the first one for you, Jeff, comes from Edward. And he asked, what sin did Satan commit to be thrown out of heaven? He says, I, to- I was told it was pride. Yeah, this is a good question. And unfortunately, the, the scriptures only give us limited uh, insight into the origins of Satan or the devil. And you know, there's, n- there's not a whole lot of information there. But from what we're told, it seems relatively okay to say that he was probably an angel had freedom to choose, you know, between obeying God or rebelling against him. You know, certainly from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we do know that angels can sin and have sinned, chosen to sin in the past. But regarding Satan in particular, mm, perhaps, you know, some people will turn over to Isaiah chapter 14, uh, verses 12 through 14, which talks about Lucifer and pride being involved there. But unfortunately, if you look at the context of that passage in Isaiah 14, it's referring to the king of Babylon. So, you know, certainly not a direct reference to Satan. Uh, obviously not not a clear direct re- reference. But if you do come over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, uh, within the context of the qualifications that the elders of a local congregation as leaders need to have, some of those qualifications include, and again in verse 6, 
at least in the New King James Version, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. New American Standard Version renders it slightly differently, and not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. So, you know, again, if this is a, a reference to Satan and having, being a prideful, conceited, etc., and being condemned because of that, you know, we can learn a couple of very important lessons. You know, first of all, you know, tying this back to what we were talking about earlier with Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following, with Christ, you know, uh, a stark contrast, as we said, you know, Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was in Christ, talked about being in the form of God, not considered a robbery, humbled himself, being, uh, came um, in appearance as a man, you know, the, the incarnation, uh, as we read about it early on in the Gospels. Uh, humbled himself, become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross for us. So number one, it's a big contrast between you know Christ and Satan. The other is you know the danger of pride and being conceited, even with angels. You know they have that potential problem like we have, and, and certainly you know the lesson is you know a warning, if you will, not to be like the devil uh, and have pride cause problems for us as well as an encouragement to be more like Christ. So, quick answer, what sin did Satan commit to be thrown out of heaven? Most likely, indeed, was pride, which therein are some lessons for us as well. Brian? Yeah, I agree. And as you were going through this, I was thinking about, you know, when the devil tempted Jesus, and we read about it in Matthew chapter 4, you know, he certainly promoted pride, right? I mean, he took him up on this exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said, you know, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. So certainly he would have loved for Jesus to fall down and worship him and tried to appeal to him by saying, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. Now, as mankind, we would think, wow, I'd love to have all these kingdoms. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and of course, what did Jesus say? You know, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So anyhow, we certainly know he promoted pride as well. Right? Uh, exactly. So I think that takes us to a question, and it's our last question. Brian, for you. Rezabeth writes in, interesting question. If I want to be a Christian and a diva, can I do that? Yeah, I think this is an interesting question because I'm not sure everybody would know what a diva is, but uh, it's certainly a term that's used here in the States. And so I'll just define it. You know, this term diva, according to the new Oxford American Dictionary, is a famous female opera singer, a famous female singer of popular music, a woman regarded as temperamental or haughty. And so it can have, as we see in these definitions, a positive or sort of neutral connotation and a negative one, right? Somebody that's temperamental or haughty. And so, you know, I think as for the first definition, you know, the Christian could certainly be a singer, like an opera singer, as long as what they're singing is appropriate according to the scriptures. But as far as that third definition, you know, a temperamental and haughty, which is really, once again, more the more common definition, at least that we see here in the United States, is certainly not a characteristic that should be part of a Christian's life. And so I'll just give a couple passages, but Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction 
and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6 says in part, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then like we talked about Luke 14, 11, you know, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, certainly when it comes to performers and entertainers, it's very easy for them to fall into this trap of once again being full of pride, being temperamental and haughty, as this definition says, as we've studied throughout. That's not what God wants us to see. He expects us to be humble. And, you know, we've talked about passages like Colossians 3.12, 1 Peter 5.5. He wants us to be kind, Romans 10.10 or Romans 12.10, Philippians 2.3. And so certainly being a diva, once again, based on that third definition, that would be contrary to these godly qualities. So, Jeff, I guess the answer is no, unless you're saying it's just a famous singer and you're singing appropriate things. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Well, and, you know, with as at least reported by the news, you know, some of these celebrities are, are just, you know, outrageous in terms of their attitudes and how they treat people and how they expect people to, you know, treat them and put them up on a pedestal. And, you know, you can kind of see that sort of, you know, glamour, fame, fortune, you know, easily going to their heads, which is just totally opposite of what God would have us to do. But even in our own, you know, local, if you will, circumstances, you know, we can uh, get into, you know, the attitude, well, you know, I've done something special. Oh, I got some special recognition at work. Oh, I've done some studying, you know, I'm, I'm getting pretty smart now. Well, watch out, be careful. You know, that, that sense of pride is potentially starting to, to rise up and will sort of uh, poison your relationship, uh, not only with others, but also with God. Brian, any other thoughts before we wrap it up for the day? Yeah, I appreciate that point because you're right. It's about awareness, isn't it, and caution and all that. Yeah, I'll just say that hopefully the two-part series that we do with Alan on Pride of Life and this you know, podcast that we did on humility really kind of helps paint the picture, as we might say, from a spiritual perspective as to why pride is so destructive and why humility is so graceful, if you will, and, and so appropriate for the Christian life. And so, yeah, appreciate uh your thoughts, Jeff, and hopefully our listeners have found benefit in these passages that talk about it. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. And for our listeners, as always, we'd like to refer you back to our website at biblequestions.org for additional information. And in this particular case, under the topics menu item, you've got the twin topics of under H for humility and under P for pride or additional scriptures for your study. Uh, an application to your life to be pleasing to God. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.